New Creation Realities. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 2. Father, we thank you once again for your word. And again, Father, we ask that you would grant us a strong and a rich measure of your spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. That you would open up the eyes of our understanding and help us to see what is the hope of our calling. Now, Holy Spirit, once again, I do acknowledge you as the one only and true teacher of the church. And I ask you to please help me. And uh, we yield ourselves to you again, Holy One, as much as we understand how to. We ask you to, to cause this word to come alive to us so that we might see the truth of what it means to be in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this is hour number two then on new creation realities. We're still going through lesson one on what we call the integrity of the word. We stopped on page six. So we're going to start right there in point two where the topic is that the word of God is self Fulfilling. The Word of God is self-fulfilling. Now, before I read the scripture, I referred to, just as we ended the last hour, I referred to Mark 4, where, of course, Mark 4 is where Jesus teaches his disciples the parable of the sower. And, uh, you know, and he speaks about the sower sowing, and he speaks of seed on the four different types of soil. And then he goes and he explains it to his disciples. And of course, he said, the seed is the word of God. The sower sows the word. But let me just share this with you about seed, you know, growing up around a farm like I did or what have you. But if you were to hold seed in your hand, would that seed ever produce what it was intended to produce? Would it? No. It was amazing. You know, when they, one of the archaeological digs that was done in Egypt uh, one of the tombs they opened, you know, they found vials that had been sealed in wax and sealed with different things. And one of, this, one of these, uh, uh, well, several vials, but one of these vials that was sealed, they had seed in it. Now, the seed that had been in, this, in these vials for something like 4,000 years, 4,000 years, Tutankhamun, you know, back in that time. And it's amazing when they, they took a few of them and, of course, they burst the seal off of these little vials the seed was 4,000 years old, and they poured it out on a table, and it was seed. <laughs> it, hadn't, it hadn't changed 4,000 years. But the remarkable thing was, they put that seed in soil, and you know what it did? It did exactly what seed was intended to do. It began to grow exactly what was within it, and it had been laying dormant for 4,000 years. Now, something about that, again, needs to strike our heart. God Almighty said this word is seed. And the thing about seed, if you hold seed in your hand, and this is the statement the way the Lord said it to me years ago. Just listen to me when I say this. Seed has the power within itself to bring itself to pass again. Right? Did you hear me? Is that true? Is that true? Yeah. Seed has within itself the power to bring itself to pass again. In fact, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. 
So here again, all these things need to be working in our thought processes when we approach God's word because it will explain to you why some things are not instantaneous. Because again, Mark 4, we're not teaching on that, but Mark 4 is where Jesus, when he speaks about all that, he said Satan comes immediately to steal the seed or the word. This is why, again, you have to watch over your heart. We quoted already in Proverbs 4, you need to guard your heart above all that you guard because out of it proceed the issues of life. The human heart is always likened in Scripture to soil. So just like you put, you know, physical seed into physical soil, God's Word is spiritual seed. It goes into the spiritual soil of your heart. So this is why we have to do a lot of excavation sometimes when people first come to the Lord because there's a lot of weeds in that ground, a lot of cultivation. The whole process of, of all this, there's pictures for us to understand. You have to cultivate the soil because, again, Jesus said there were four types of soil, and it always amazes me that only one type, only one type, Jesus himself said only one type of soil is going to bring forth any fruit. And that's frightening to me because Jesus Christ himself is standing speaking. And basically what he's saying is that 75% of his hearers or listeners are not going to bear fruit because of one of the three other reasons. Because of the distractions of this world, the distractions of this age, the cares of the world, stony ground, all these things. He said these things will creep in and he said they will suffocate the word. And they'll cause it not to produce what it's intended to produce. So this is why you see it is so vitally important to get the heart conditioned so that it's able to accept the Word of God. Because, listen, the Word of God will produce. See, don't ever doubt that the Word of God will not produce after its own kind. So the problem is not with the Word of God. The problem is normally with the soil. You hear me? The soul of the human heart. But this is why so many people say, well, that word doesn't work. You say healing is for us today. Well, that doesn't work because I tried that. No, no, no. The word of God, healing words, healing seed always produces healing. But the problem is if there's so many other seeds of doubt and unbelief in the same soil, Listen, if you grow up around any farming or planting or whatsoever, you can plant some incredible good seed from the finest nursery in the world. But if you're allowing all these other seeds and all these other weeds to be round about it, and it will suck all the nutrients right up out of the soil that's intended for that. And you may have little or nothing grow, no fruit whatsoever off of that. But it had nothing to do with the problem of the, with the original power of the seed. It had everything to do with the condition, the condition of the soil and the fact that there were all manner of other things in there that would suffocate the life out of the good seed. So I'm saying this is incredibly important, see, that all God's people have to understand this. Because we blame things on God. Or we accuse ministries are accused different truths of Scripture as not being true, and we judge Bible truth by experiential knowledge. You never allow your experiences to speak louder to you than God's Word. I mean, think about that. People try something, and they have an experience, and they then interpret Scripture through their experience. Well, I asked God to heal me. I wasn't healed. 
So what this must mean is something else. And so they begin to dilute the word down until it fits their experience. No, that's not what you do. This is why you have to come to the point where you get very honest. At some point in your life, if you're really going to move forward, you come to a place of challenge in the, heaven, in the spirit and you begin to say, Father, if there's a problem, it's on my end. It's not on your end. Because everything about you is good and pure and perfect and right. Anyhow, so the word of the Lord is self-fulfilling. Now turn to Isaiah 55. I've got it on the outline, but I'm going to just read it in context here. Isaiah 55, verse 11, and the King James says, so shall my word be. But that's why I want to read the verses before it. <laughs> Let me start in verse 8 of Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. But even right there, let me say this. He didn't say that your thoughts couldn't become, or his thoughts couldn't become your thoughts, or that your ways couldn't become his ways. His ways couldn't become your ways. Now watch, verse 9, 4. As the heavens, now in other words, he's drawing a comparison because you see the word as there. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. For, for as the rain and snow comes down from the heavens and returns not there again, but waters the earth to do what? To make it bring forth and sprout that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Then verse 11, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. In other words, he said, just like you can see this pattern when rain comes from heaven and waters earth to cause it to bring forth and bud so that it may give bread to the eater and seed, seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be. He said, in other words, this is why we make this statement over and over again. Everything God does, he does by way of process. There's a process involved. It can be interrupted by human effort. But God has a process. He works by process. He says here again, For as the rain and snow comes down from the heavens and returns not there again, but waters the earth and, bring, and makes it bring forth and sprout, that it may give seed to the sower and bread of the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void without producing any effect or being useless, but it shall accomplish. Hallelujah. It shall accomplish that which I please and purpose, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Uh, <laughs> if ever the, a human heart would open up to the word of God, and begin to see these things with their spiritual eyes. This is why, again, so many people never gain anything from church because they just go, to their, the way my spiritual dad used to say it was this. He said, people in churches have been trained how to hear sermons rather than taught to study the word of God for themselves. 
And so we go in there to hear a sermon and see what the guy has to say. Oh, that was nice. But there's all the difference in the world between hearing a sermon and actually taking what God said and making application of it and making a decision. I'm here to hear. This is why Jesus, again, in Mark 4, he said it so seriously. If any man hath ears to hear, let him hear. For he that does not have ears to hear, even that which he has will be taken from him. He said, for with the measure, listen to this, you know, big measure, small measure, teaspoon, giant bucket. For with the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear, he says, that will determine the measure of virtue, and the word there is power. That determines the measure of virtue, it says, and wisdom that comes back to you. That's what Jesus said, Mark 4:11. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear determines the measure of virtue and power that comes back to you. See, the issue isn't, again, the sower can be doing the job, doing the job, but somebody has to make the decision to listen. I think I've quoted this to you before. I wrote an article recently for a group in the States on, on listening, and I went up and I found this... Um, his website, it really, it really, I, it amazed me. It's, I didn't even know there was such a website, www.listening.org. And it has all these statistics on listening and hearing. And it had this statement. It said that the human, human beings hear, excuse me, think. They think at the rate of 2,000 to 3,500 words per minute. They think at the rate of 2,000 to 3,500 words per minute. Human beings on an average listen at a rate of 125 to 250 words per minute. In other words, you're, you can be so busy thinking, you see that you're so trained to think, you're in your mind, you're thinking 10 times faster than you're listening. That's why you can hear your ears, the vibrations can go up against your ears the inner ear, but you may have never listened to what was said, right? It's like ministering to men and women all the time. Like I said, there's this one book that, uh, you know, written by a woman who says, is there anybody out there listening? <laughs> and when you teach on the difference between men and women, it says the number one thing a woman wants is a, somebody who will listen to them. Because men are headliners, women are fine print people, women are detail oriented, they want details, they want to talk details. Men are headliners. It's not, our, it's not our natural bent to just listen to five million words. We want headlines. But if you learn, if you're going to minister to your wife, you're going to have to learn how to listen <laughs> and then listen some more. But you see, this, this interaction between the ear, and it's an incredible thing because the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's true, at least with the doctors that are friends of mine, they say that the last physical sense normally, I'm sure there's always exceptions to the rule, but the last physical sense to go when a person dies is hearing. Hearing is a gateway. It's a spiritual gate. This is why people that have been pronounced dead on operating tables that have been resuscitated can begin to relate things that were said over the table after the, after the time that was written down that their heart stopped. Because this hearing, something's deeply, deeply, deeply spiritual. Faith comes by hearing. This is why you have to guard what you're constantly hearing. Because it's like a gateway into your spirit. Faith comes by hearing. 
And this is why I, like, every car I've ever owned, every, I mean, my major, my first purchase of my whole Christian experience was to buy the New Testament on tape in my, in our ministry cars, what have you. I've got the New Testament on tape. I just have the, ta- I have the, I have it playing all the time. Even in the background when I'm doing other stuff, I just want that word because that word is spirit and I can be doing something else, but that word, I know it's going into my spirit. I just want to be surrounded with it. You do with it what you will. <laughs> but it's life unto them that find it. So I want to find it. Hallelujah. The word of God is self-fulfilling. Psalm 107:20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Point C and God said, now there's many more, but of course the whole first chapter of Genesis is creation taking place. And again, it says, and God said, God said, God said, let the waters, I'm not going to read it all, but God spoke the worlds into existence, didn't he? All through God's word. In fact, in the actual Hebrew and what's in, in, for that matter, in the Septuagint and the Greek text of it, instead of it saying, and God said, it says, it says, the word says, let there be light. It says this, light be, and light was. In other words, he just spoke it. He spoke it into, the, into existence. So think about this, the power of his word. And then in light with that, well, let me just keep reading anyhow, because like I said, I've got to get to these next bits. So God spoke. God's word is self-fulfilling. God spoke everything into existence. We read that in John 1 just a moment ago, the last hour, how all things that were made were made by him and through him. Nothing that was made, nothing that's ever been made was not made without coming through him. Mark 16, the Great Commission, Verses 15 through 20, Jesus said unto them, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Verse 20, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming what? What did he confirm? Confirming the word with signs and wonders following. If you do preach the true word of God, there should be a Holy Spirit confirmation. It's just the way it is. The next page, point three, the word of God is something that grows. We have several scriptures to speak to that. Acts 6, 7, it says, and the word of, word of God increased. Of course, it means it's spread abroad. But see, the word of God will increase in your spirit. This is what meditation does. And the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company, the priests were beating to the faith. Acts nineteen twenty, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And of course, point B, you say, well, why should we even have to say that in the Bible school? But that you have to. The word of God is true. <laughs> and I just, this is like I said, we've got to go through all these scriptures before we begin to get to some of these heavy things. Because some of the statements that we're going to read are profound. And I want to build your faith in just the veracity of God's word. The word of God is true. Romans 1, excuse me, Romans chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Paul said, for what if some did not believe? Show their unbelief. Make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true. 
but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. And that's the way you have to live. Let God be true. You have to let God be true in your life. And God and his word are one. Remember John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. So here it is. Let God, let the word be true. And every man liar. Hebrews 6, 18. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. And this is why when you counsel people, sometimes I do very little counseling anymore. I haven't counseled really for years and years because, you know, people don't like my counsel. <laughs> because the only thing I know to give them is the word of God. I've learned a long time ago, I can give you my thoughts, my opinions, but when it's all said and done, see, I had a man sit across from me all those years ago. And he used to make me so mad when I first got saved. He was my spiritual father, my first spiritual father. I'd come in with all these questions and he'd look, sit across from me and Eddie Duncan, he'd say, so what's the word say? I said, well, I know the word says this, but I want to know what you think. He'd say, what's the word say? He said, well, the word, I know. I'd say, I know, well, the word of God says this, but what do you think? He'd look at me and say, what's the word say? And I get so mad at him, I wanted was walking out. But what he was doing, he was trying, he saw something in me and he was pushing me to get my answers from God's word and to believe it for what it was and to just take it and be like a little child and take it. But I want to counsel people, you know, how many, I don't know if you've ever talked to anybody, have you ever heard somebody walk in and say, well, Rod, the Lord said to me, da, 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 da. Well, listen, who am I to challenge what the Lord said? But sometimes people say the Lord said, and I know the Lord hadn't said zip <laughs> about that because it doesn't line up with his word. But you see, if they are sitting there saying God told me, well, then that's the end of the counseling session. Well, then, okay. If you're telling me you think God's spoken to you and God said that to you, what do you come, what do you, you know, there's no use in us even talking. But some people come in with stuff, you know, like the old, you know, God told me, to divorce my wife because he's got a better wife for me. You know, you, 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 no, seriously, you hear, that, you hear that stuff all the time. I used to think they were jokes until it actually started happening. You know, I said, no, God, you know, and then you see they get upset because you have to look them straight in the face and say, God didn't say that. God will never say that. God spoke to me in a dream. You had a nightmare, you know. You, have, you, know, you just have to look them right back in the face and say, no, the spirit and the word always agree. But again, this is what I mean. God's word is truth. And he won't violate his own word. God's not like shifting, shifting sands, the Bible says. Anyhow, John 17, 17, when Jesus is actually praying, this is, John 17 is truly more accurate the Lord's prayer because this is the Lord praying. But in that prayer, he makes this statement as he's talking to the Father about the disciples and all of us. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And why this gets important is, again, even the word sanctify means to set apart for holy work or to set apart as holy. And he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. If you can just catch the simplicity of what he's saying, the only way you and I are ever going to be set apart, the only way we're ever going to truly be set apart for the work that we're called to do or for the life that we're called to live is when we allow God's word to set us apart. Sanctify them through thy truth, Lord. If you can see his heart in prayer, he's about to go to the cross for us. 
Sanctify them. Set them apart by thy truth, Father. Thy word is truth. In other words, let them understand this word of yours is what's going to set them apart. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Now, I think that's, I'm going to turn to that in the Amplified Bible, because if, if I'm correct, that's this verse uh, that I really love how it's translated in the, in the Amplified. First Thessalonians. Yeah, oh, I love this verse. Listen to First Thessalonians 2.13 of the Amplified Bible. This is something I quote almost every day. It says, and we also especially thank God continually for this, that when you received the message of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of mere men, but as it truly is the word of God. Listen now, listen. But as it truly is the word of God, which is effectually at work in you who believe, exercising its superhuman power in those who adhere to trust in and rely on it. I just love that. He said, the word of God is all the while exercising its superhuman power in those who believe. And I remember what I'll do sometimes, I'll walk around and say, Father, though I'm sitting down, I thank you that your word is exercising right now. One, two, three, four. It's exercising. But you have to let it be alive. You see, it's alive. You have to keep hearing the word that God speaks is alive. It's not just a letter. It's seed. It's alive. It has life within itself. And when you have it on the inside of you and you have it in your mouth and have it in your heart, the two positions of faith, he said, this word of God is all the while we're at work within you that believe it's exercising right now. See, if you believe it, <laughs> I just so desperately want you to get it. If you believe God's word about healing or any other, if you believe it in your believer, your heart, see that soil has got that good seed and you're believing it. See, what you have to begin to see with your spiritual eyes, that word's exercising right now. It's at work. It's at work. It's at work. It's exercising its superhuman power. Above human. See, super just means a higher plane than normal or natural power. That's what supernatural is. There's natural laws and there's supernatural laws. A higher plane of law that supersedes natural law. Don't you get it? Natural law says you may have to die with that, but there's a higher law that supersedes natural law that can begin to exercise its superhuman ability and begin to purge out a human problem because it's superhuman. See, I don't know, you guys, I don't know if you're looking at me like a cow at a new barn, but, uh, but I, I, I love this stuff. I mean, it excites me because I, it's what, when you get a hold of it, it's like you go, mm. And you, it begins to work. And when it begins to work in your life, there's an excitement that comes because you, I don't know, but again, you see or you begin to hear stuff that others don't. And, and that's what happens. You get excited and everybody looks at you and goes, you're crazy. Whatever. Point C, we're called to abide in the word of God. Of course, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine or reproof or correction. For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. See, Scripture is what will furnish you 
for the work that you have to do again. John 8, 31, 32, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, continuance is the big deal. The power of freedom comes from the act of continuance. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But see, the only way you're going to know the truth is by continuing. And again, see, there's word studies in all this. I've probably told you this before. Remember the word know, what the word know in Greek is? And the best way to translate it, like I said, most of you are adults, so don't get mad at me. But the best way to translate the word know is that when you read the genealogies in two of the gospels, so-and-so knew so-and-so and begat so-and-so who knew so-and-so and begat so-and-so, who knew so-and-so and begat so-and-so. Because the meaning of the word know, let's put it this way, anytime somebody knew somebody in those days, there was a whole lot of begatting going on. Because no speaks to extreme intimacy, that intimacy between a husband and a wife in their bedchamber that causes creation. So when it speaks about knowing things, it's not talking about a casual observation. It's talking about a depth of intimacy that produces life. Hallelujah. See, now all those things, that's what I mean. A lot of people just have a casual, well, let's have a glance at this. But Jesus said, if you'll know the truth, see, if you get intimate with this truth, that's when freedom begins to come. John 15, 17, if you live in me, Abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you and continue to live in your hearts. You see, then you'll ask whatever you will, and it should be done for you. And see, this is why having the word abiding richly in your heart is so important when it comes to prayer, because if you have God's word abiding richly in you, you're not going to ask amiss, are you? You're not going to be asking some stupid off-the-wall thing. The next page, praise God, the end of lesson one. Psalm 91, verse 1 in the Amplified Bible, he who dwells in the secret place. In other words, if you continue to abide there, that's what the principle is here. He who dwells in the secret place, not visits. You can visit, but it's better to live there. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall remain stable and fixed under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no one can withstand. So the summary is that the Word of God is alive and full of power. The Word of God is true regardless of circumstances or anybody's experience. And point C, we're to live in the Word, and the Word is to live in us. Now let's turn to lesson two now. Begin here. And now is when we're really going to begin to look at this whole thing. The, the name of the course is New Creation Realities, what this is about. Now we've gone through all these, hopefully, to build your faith, these past verses about the fact that it is, God's Word is God's Word. It's not man's Word. So what God has said has happened has happened. And this is something you have to take by faith. Without faith, it is impossible. It's just going to be impossible to believe God or to expect anything to come for him. So the Bible says we're new creations in Christ Jesus. And one of the things to really, that will really help you, and it's a mind-blowing consideration, you have to ask yourself, you have to go back to the original creation of man before the fall to understand what God's intent was for his people, right? There's this statement they'll make in any good Bible college that there are three places that you see the perfect will of God unhindered. There are three places you see the perfect will of God unhindered. In the garden before the fall, in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ while on earth, and in heaven as it is today, okay? So to go back to to really understand the new creation, what God's done in Christ, 
we have to go back and look at the original creation because here's a question we're going to have to poise to ourselves, and this is a heavy one. How far has redemption brought us? What did the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ really produce? What level of fellowship has been restored? Do we, this day, today, because of Jesus Christ, have lesser fellowship than Adam had before the fall or equal? Uh, I mean, just how far did redemption go? Because if you get real honest with it, you're going to have to understand something. The Bible says, like we read in the very first, remember in the first hour, the first few verses in 2 Corinthians 5, it says when past tense that God has restored us and placed us back into perfect harmony with God. That's what it says. Now, you got to hear me. That's what I keep talking about. We have to take the word for the word. I don't care what your experience has been. And you have to get to the point where you do not judge God's word by your present circumstances. See, I'm saying that at some point in your life, you have to approach this Bible clinically a little bit. And you have to divorce yourself from human emotion and just begin to look at this and ask yourself, do I actually believe this? Because you see, you don't wait until you are having its promises before you believe it. You believe it before you have its promises, right? Now, I'm trying to go real slow on purpose because I'm watching your head and some of you are looking at me like, you know, whatever. But I'm trying, because it's so important that you've got you've to work with this. That's why the Word of God is, is just that. You have to work with the Word and work with the Word. You don't just hear it taught to you once and get it because Satan will work on you every day. You have to give yourself to this stuff over and over again before it stays with you. Because I guarantee you, as soon as you walk out these doors, the pressures, the contrary winds, the pressures of this world will come and, and you'll hear, or like Paul in the book of Galatians, you know, he comes with the pure message of heaven, but all the Judaizing teachers came in behind him to dilute the message and make it less than what heaven really intended. And, you listen, you know, and it is a sad truth, but the fact is there aren't many churches that are actually teaching the scriptures. They're sermonizing the people. And God help me to understand, and God help you to understand, I am not attacking churches. I'm just saying this is why every single one of us, we have a Bible, don't we? And you see, our problem is we have put the responsibility of our spiritual growth on our spiritual leaders. While they do definitely have a responsibility, you must never blame them because you have a Bible. In this land, in this nation, we're in a free society. Hallelujah. And we can read this book for ourselves. But again, see, don't let knowledge puff you up. This is why the first two courses are on the love of God and the grace of God. Because the things that you hear, the last thing I want you to do is run out and start acting like you know more than somebody else. These things you need to hide in your heart until they become manifestations in your flesh. Because the testimony of your flesh, these things outworking in your life, will be far more powerful than the testimony of your mouth. Do you hear me? In other words, these things need to incubate and work and they need to begin to be functioning in your own life. Well, the nature of man before the fall, let's look at it. Genesis 3, 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden 
in the cool of the day. And it says, and they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. That's because they'd fallen. But first thing I want you to hear is just that before the fall, evidently we can read in the scripture. And again, all these are studies that there's been books written about. But the fact is, it was God's habit to come and walk with his creation and have sweet fellowship with them in the garden. Point B, we were masters of the earth. Genesis 1:28. God had said to them, it says God blessed them. The word bless is a Hebrew word, C-H-U-P-H, which means empower to prosper or to produce. It says, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it with all its vast resources and have dominion and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves upon the earth. Now hear that. That's what it says. Genesis 2, 8 says, and the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, meaning delight. And there he put the man whom he had formed, framed, and constituted. Verse 15 of Genesis 2 says, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and guard and keep it. You have to understand that when it says in Psalms, when David refers back to this, it said that God made man a little lower than the angels. And when we read that, we go, we think one thing. And again, this is a whole, maybe I'm being too, I'm being premature to even bring this up. Because these are the things, like I said, I was taught for years and then I had to study for years. But even right there, it says, where God made man a little lower than the angels. The word for angels there isn't the word for angelos. Or, or, well, the Hebrew word isn't angelos, of course. But it's the word Elohim. And it's the plural of the word God. And what it says is that God made man just a little lower than himself. But God made man, and this is where it gets real, real touchy with some people. God made man, does it say that he made man in his likeness and in his image? We're going to get to those verses in a minute. But God made man, Adam was master of the earth. Will you agree with that? Adam was the master. You know what the word Adam means? The, root, the full, the actual word dam, D-A-M, means blood. Very interesting, because the first man, his name is blood, because blood is the life. Adam means blood. Anyhow, we'll get to this in a minute, because you're going to see it. We're going to get into a word study here in just a moment. Now, Isaiah 43, 7, uh, you don't have to turn there, but this is where we're going to get to this word study. And this can get pretty thick for some people, but I'm trusting I can communicate a little bit here. Isaiah 43, 7 says categorically that God, that mankind was created for my glory. Okay? And it's one of these verses that you'll see that statement in many places, and we kind of skim over it. Man was made for his glory. We'll just say it like that. God created man for his glory. And we just hear, but we don't have any idea. But now, listen, this is a word study that I did years ago. This is right out of the... The, it's uh, Well, TWOT. TWOT is called the Theological Word Book. The Theological Word Book of the Old Testament. TWOT is an incredible work. You know, like Strong's Concordance, how you'll have a number in Strong's Concordance, like a four-digit number that relates to a word. Or the t well, in Strong's, and you'll have maybe one or two sentences. The TWOT, you'll take that number, and it has another number, and then instead of having two sentences, it'll have a full page or two full columns, but it takes you to the full root 
what's called the call, and it's too much to go into. It's, it's something when they, when they teach you in a Bible, the QAL, the call, or the kufil of the word, where it shows the root and where it comes from and what its strength is. In other words, what's really being communicated, because Hebrew letters were actually, though we see them like this, they're, to the Hebrew mind, they portrayed pictures. God created man for his glory. Now watch this. The word created, now this is right out of the TWT, is the word bara, B-A-R-A, not the word yatsar. It says this is important because yatsar emphasizes the shaping of an object. In other words, an object already has to be, it's already, there's something already created. Yasar means the shaping of an object, but bara means the initiation or the beginning. In other words, the bringing into creation of an object. Barar here means bringing into existence. This word is used only of God's activities, never man's. Now, I never would have looked up the word for because you just think it's a preposition. But for some reason, when I was looking through this lexicon, it had every word. This little word for is this big Hebrew word, bikura. I don't know how to, what, you can see it there in the outline. It's a feminine word. It means this. This little word for means birthright, primogeniture, which means the state of being a firstborn. It means the earliest parent or ancestor of a race. That little word for, that's what it means. <laughs> the earliest parent or ancestor of a race. And I put down, this is my part, guess what race? A race that is invested with God himself. In law, this word speaks to the right of an eldest son to succeed to the estate of his ancestor to the exclusion of all others. Now, we're going to put all this together in a second, hopefully. The word glory, of course, is the word ruach. I don't have it in there. But it means the heaviness. It doesn't mean just presence. It means heavy presence. It means substantial presence. It means the core, the nucleus, what really makes God God. It says the heaviness of God's presence, the visible, visible manifestation of God. It's directly related always to God's self-disclosure and his intent to dwell among men. God wishes to dwell with man and to have his reality and his splendor known to them. But this is only possible when they take account of the stunning quality of his holiness and set out in faith and obedience to let the character be manifested in them. So now when you put all this together, created for my glory. Listen to this last little paragraph. It wasn't merely God's reputation which was to fill the earth, but the very reality of his presence. His desire is that all his people gladly recognize and own this. His original purpose was for his original purpose was for man to provide this. Now, point B, we were created to share his glory. Now, jump over here real quick. Like I said, I just got a, a minute here. Genesis 1, 26 and 28 through 28 is where it says that we were created in his likeness and image. There's actually two Hebrew words here, salam and demut, D apostrophe M-U-T, which I thought I had on here, but I don't. But listen to this. Salem is the word for image, refers to the image as a representation of the deity. But God's image does not consist in man's body. Now listen to this. God's image does not consist in man's body, which was formed of the earth because he's a spirit, but in his spiritual 
intellectual and moral likeness. The reason God is so against idols is that they are out of something made with no life in them. But we are something that has been breathed into life by God himself. We were created. We were bara. We were not Yatsar. We were not an object already. We were birthed for to be the first, the first ancestor of a brand new race that's going to be filled with his glory, the heavy presence of God. We are something that has been breathed into life by God himself. Demut is the word likeness I do have here. This is a word that always enhances the word salim from the root word dam, meaning blood. Now listen to this. Man is not just an image, but the actual in the Hebrew it says, but a likeness image. This is the part that hits me so hard when I studied this years ago. Man is not to be simply representative. But this is where you have to be, you have to walk by faith to hear this. Man was not intended to be simply representative, but representational. Now, do you know what I'm saying by that? This is what TWOT says in all these other lexicons. We're not just supposed to be an ambassador in only that sense. Now, here's where it gets tough. (laughs) We're not just supposed to be representative. We're supposed to be representation all. Do you remember Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? And remember, Jesus said that. Christ didn't. Humanity. We're supposed to be. We're, now, I didn't say anybody is. See, don't, don't hit me. Don't throw rocks at me. But God's original intent. See, this is what I'm trying to get you to before we really start to dig into this over the next few weeks. We were created to be for his glory to carry the heavy presence of God. We were made in his likeness image, not just as a representative, but representational. We were to be on earth a visible manifestation of an invisible God. Hallelujah. Now I'm watching you, I'm looking at you right now and I'm watching your eyes look at me and your head's going, So, because again, you can't hear this with your head. This is something you're going to have to go away and you say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Or I know that. This is what happens. Most people say, well, yeah, I know that. But see, you don't know that. (laughs) We are called we're sons of God. We're not sons of man. As many as received him, he gave power to become the sons of God. Sons of God. See, until you begin to see this, like I said, and begin to find out who you really are, you'll always see yourself as only man and only limited with all of the limitations that come from it. But there have been a few people that have walked this earth that began to see who they really were. They were people invested with God. You hear me quote this all the time out of Colossians. It says that, that Christ was filled with the fullness of the Godhead. But then the next verse, Colossians 1.10, I said, what do you do with this verse? It says that in Christ, in Christ, this is exactly what it says. In Christ, you too are filled with the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The King James says, in him you are complete. 
The word complete, remember? I don't remember if I touched it, is plerio. I love it. I love this word complete. The word complete, you know what it means? To be crammed to the point of overflowing. It's like, remember, I almost have to stand up to this. It's like if this is you, this is your physical body. Everybody look up at me. This is your physical body. And God said that he took all of his presence. He took all of his glory. He took all of his inner parts when he blew into man. And he crammed all that made him him. <laughs> he crammed us with himself. Hell has had to work for thousands of years to dilute the gospel message down to where we go to church. And we're second class beings. And we have no authority. And that's a lie from the pit of hell that causes us to be as weak as we are. But this book has never changed. This truth has never changed. But I'm telling you, this truth, this truth that we're just now beginning to touch the edges of, Hell will fight you so hard on, so fight you so hard on this truth that you, you, you have no idea because this is what begins to lead you into true authority because you refuse to take what you've been taken once you begin to see this. But when you stand in this, you'll begin to see life come out of you like you've never imagined. Father, I thank you for this much. I'm asking you, Father, to please do what I sure can't do. It caused, and please allow these students to go over these verses again and again and again. And to read these definitions out loud to themselves. Read these verses out loud to themselves. Until they begin to discover what you're wanting us to discover. And please, Lord, do not let one of them compare themselves among themselves, like Paul said not to. And quit, please keep them from judging this by everybody else's experiences and by all the gainsayers or rather the naysayers that will say this is extreme. This is not extreme. This is the truth. This is just the Bible. And as I always say, there haven't been many Smith Wigglesworths, but there was one. There haven't been many John G. Lakes, but there was one. If there was one, there could be another. But they have to take hold of the truth like a hungry tiger would a piece of red meat. So I just ask you to help us with this, Father, because we need your help with this. In Jesus' name, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.